The Parenting Unpacked podcast is recorded on Yagara and Yagambe Banjalung land. We acknowledge the Turrbal, Yagara and Kumbamari people as its traditional custodians. We acknowledge all First Peoples of this land and celebrate their enduring connections to country, knowledge and stories. We pay our respects to the Elders, those who have passed into the dreaming, those here today and those of tomorrow. Welcome back to Parenting Unpacked. You're here with Dr. Kristen Summer and Dr. Siobhan Kennedy Costantini and her unborn fetus. Hi, Siobhan. How are yes. you and fetus Hello. going? I am well. Fetus is well. Um, Does fetus have I'm a name, officially... like like a nickname, or is it just so fetus? I call it I call it Squirt. Oh, cute. Um, Timo was Wiggle Worm. Oh, so cute. Mine was, was not the wiggliest that cute. of worms. What, 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 did, what nicknames did Sienna have? <laughs> Nobody judge me, okay? Like, this is a fun Aussie joke, okay? Like, I'm sure okay. I'm not the only I'm one so that's curious done this. Now. My obstetrician used to tell us off all the time, but my husband and I, we just loved it. Oh, and it makes so much sense now. Uh, we used to call her Demon Spawn. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so because she's such like, a cute, not, sweet kid, but you yeah, know. <laughs> she'd be like, "We're calling ourselves the demon here. It's nothing against her." Exactly, she's just the spawn of said demon, and I mean, it makes exactly. sense. Like, but yeah, I feel like <laughs> I feel like that's going to end up as a soundbite somewhere on the internet, being like, "Oh my god, Doctor Kristen Summer <laughs> calls her child demon spawn." The demon. And you know what? I feel like we all feel like our kids are demon spawn sometimes. Um, Absolutely. But when you're not religious, and demon means nothing to you, it just makes you lol. Um, yeah, that was just a name between me and my husband, um, that obviously the obstetrician caught every now and then, but you know, whatever, it's fine. Anyways, we're going to move on from that. I'm so glad that you've got a little squirt. Happy. Yes, how, so squirt is, how is and squirt? And Timo yeah. was wiggle worm. Squirt's good. We had our morphology scan last week. That's a 20 week scan where they check that it's got all, all, the, bits, all the bits. Yeah. Bits and bobs are there. Mm. Um, although it took two hours. <laughs> um, because yeah. the said child is as obstinate yeah. as its parents uh -huh. and would not get into the right position. And Timo's uh -huh. was exactly the same. It yeah, took, so I think, like CNS. an hour and 45 minutes. I learned, mm. so I went, we went to my parents' house afterwards um, for lunch and my sister, who was there with her wonderful child. So this, my sister always calls <laughs> me out good. because I always describe on this podcast, her child is like the perfect child and her child oh, is yeah. the perfect child. She's yeah. my adoptive daughter. Um, she mm -hmm. calls me mom sometimes and um, I call her my daughter and it's kind of a joke, but it's not really a joke. Um, and because I think she's the most perfect thing ever. Uh, her morphology scan took 20 minutes. What? Because she was a perfect child. Because, well, like, because as in, I utero, said, in utero, there are markers of temperament, and that is one of them, right? I know. My child, stubborn as all get out, like braced herself. So when she was like, like at the twelve and twenty week scan, she like had her head down. Her head was always on my cervix and never moved. And at the twelve week scan, I think she braced her legs against my like cervical wall or whatever it is, so that no matter no matter what the like ultrasound tech did to try and tip her off the wall so she could get in a different angle, Sienna just sat there like braced herself and was just like, "F you, I am not moving. I am I'm happy comfy. here. You figure it out." And she was so she was there for so long that when she came out, her little ear was all folded up like a pixie, and it took her like six months to unfold. <laughs> But anyways, that's a random and a side note. That's what was amazing. yours doing to stop it from happening? Um, like it was, um, they were moving around, just not 
in any of the right spots. Mm. Um, and I have to, they've sent, they've called me a couple of times. I have to go back tomorrow to rescan because we didn't get enough pictures. <laughs> God, that um, sucks. So it really, really does. Um, but, you know, indicative of me and my children. And my dad just mm. laughed because he was like, yeah, what do you expect? I'm like, I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> Far out. I'm a you stubborn person to... who produces stubborn people. <laughs> you, do, you don't have to go like pay a second time, do you, for the ultrasound? No, no, no. They so were, I mean, the I would, I just wouldn't. Um, yeah, but they were like very like specific about... They? Yeah, they, they were very, like, um, specific about, no, no, it's completely free of charge. I'm like, yeah, it would want to be. Um, mm. Although this one was good. I didn't, for Timo's one, I, like, fainted about, like, what? three quarters of the way through. This Apparently, was, this or at least, Oh, yeah, no, that's oh, right, I mean, Timo. Yeah, good point. Keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so apparently it's not, like, it happens sometimes that with women lying on their back for a long time at that stage of pregnancy yeah, can okay. reduce um, because of, like, where the blood flow is yeah. and stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. But this time that didn't happen, so that was good. That's good. I'm so glad you didn't pass out. That would no, be me uncomfortable. Too. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? So, like... Something that people probably don't know, like I go through private when I do my pregnancy, like when I did it with Sienna, mm. and you go through public. Mm -hmm. So I had to pay for like the fancy scans. Did you? Mm. So for the 12 week so scan I... and the 20 week scan. Yeah. Yeah. So we uh, we have paid for both of those, but that's because we chose to. So oh, um, okay. you, we can, we chose to go to, um, ultrasound clinics that are private clinics in the public system. Um, so that was just at my, um, so we do GP. So in Australia, there are different um, models of care for mm -hmm. pregnant women in the publicly funded health system. Mm -hmm. um, the one that we have chosen is called GP shared care. So our general practitioner, oh, yeah. my family doctor, um, who is trained in maternity care, she mm -hmm. does like and 75% of all our appointments and then the hospital does the rest. Um, and she just, we went to the center that she recommended because she's sensible and we trust her and happy to pay for stuff if that's what she wants us to do. So mm. yeah, we just basically go by her judgment. Yeah, um, as you should. Don't I need think, to think too hard about those things. Like trust oh, an expert exactly. to do their expertise. Precisely. <laughs> So yeah, I think uh, one was this one was about two hundred and something dollars, mm -hmm. um, and then Sweet, thirty dollars yeah. for parking. Oh, um, that's because you live in Brisbane, mate. I know precisely. The true um, Yeah, and like the hospital is like in the middle of the city, so that's actually very good pricing considering. Um, but yeah, no, it was really good. The sonographer was lovely and gentle, much more gentle than my one with Timo, who like had to root around yeah, and really. Awesome dig in there um oh. but no it was good but other than that fetus is doing good wiggling a lot because that's how that works um, wiggling a lot fair yeah fair. that's but so no, good I think this, we love the, that the pregnancy is pretty relaxed and i can finally tolerate coffee again mm -hmm. i was still i was i drank coffee throughout my whole first trimester but i w basically took it like medicine because <laughs> i hated the taste i don't want I needed to have the caffeine. on caffeine no, I would get such headaches. Um, yeah, and I mean, I could, I could take that as an opportunity to like help reduce my caffeine addiction. But no, we can't have that. No, we can't um, do that. That's wrong. No, no, no. So, I mean, but I now don't I really can have caffeine that often, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. Yeah. I'm back to my two coffees a day, which I love because I just I've always loved the taste of coffee. 
even as a kid, like I'd always have coffee cake or like coffee flavored things. Um, this That's is so weird. mundane and boring. Sorry, anyone listening. Sorry, guys. We are today is a chatty episode, <laughs> and the thing is, is that we decided to have a chatty episode this morning on our phone call when we basically had a chatty episode and I kept yelling at Siobhan being like stop we're podcasting again and this is just a personal phone call like what is wrong with us we just did like we talked about time out what else did we talk about there was a couple of things we talked about I was just like what are we talking about (laughs) we talked about so many different things that yeah and I was I joked that we should just have like some button on our phones that can record a podcast from our phone calls I'm fairly certain that you can record phone calls I just I don't want to think about it let's just Let's just not talk to each other unless we're on the podcast <laughs> with our microphones. Like, just be like, no, not talking to each other unless it's over. recorded. Get, the, so get the microphone out. Oh, God. Anyways, so what do I want to talk about today? There's things I want to talk about and I just, my brain is not there. So it's like, we're probably like four weeks delayed maybe in terms of our uploads, maybe three. I don't know. It's the 24th of January today. Um, oh, Let's talk about that. That's a good thing to talk about. So it's the 24th of January today. In two days' time, we have a public mm. holiday for a day that shall not be named slash invasion day. Mm. I apologize in advance if you feel um, some kind of nationalism towards that day, um, but we here are a um, First Nations positive um, podcast. Uh, I... That's all I have to say about that. I don't know what Siobhan <laughs> thinks. I just kind of spoke no, for both of us just then. No, no, no. I'm on board. I think so for those who are not Australian and or don't know, um, Australia Day is celebrated on the 26th of January. Um, it is complicated because it uh-huh. technically um, commemorates, no, not technically, it does commemorate the um first permanent European settlement on the continent of Australia on the 26th of January 1788. So that is the first time that white people were in Australia, but as the longest living and enduring um, peoples in the world, the First Nations um, Aboriginal Indigenous communities who have been in this, who have lived on this land um, and served as its stewards for like between 40,000 and 60,000 years. So um, it seems strange and it is strange to celebrate the kind of in, the actual invasion of white people coming and just claiming land. So yeah. um, we and don't the, support it. And, and the thing is, like, it's not old. Like, it's like 40 years old, the actual date. Australia Day is a on. celebration. Yeah. yeah. It's only from like the 80s or something. Yeah. Um, which. You know, like people are just like, why would you take away like our national day of like remembrance? It insults people in like armed forces and stuff that lost their lives. And it's like, no, we have Anzac Day for that. Um, But also like we're fighting for our country as a whole. We're not just fighting for the Mm -hmm. white country. We're fighting for both. How how long ago was it that um, Indigenous peoples weren't allowed to vote or no the the most important one was indigenous peoples were thought of as flora and fauna until recently and that's just the 70s that's a that's a bit fucked Um, oh incredibly incredibly to bring this back around to why it matters to you especially if you don't live in our country um and why it matters to you as the parent is that children learn their everything their prejudices, their biases by the number one people in their lives who happen to be us. So if they hear us 
talking or not talking, more importantly, about race, then they're not going to talk about race. They're not going to notice the racial inequities and injustices and things like that. So it's kind of like this idea of like, don't raise a colorblind generation because colorblindness, um, uh, what is it, perpetuates those inequalities of a racial and ethnical nature. Ethnical? Ethnic nature? God, my brain's not here. <laughs> Anyways, um, so yeah, that's why it's relevant. I was just pulling up, like, I've got this book in my hands because I've been reading it, but I haven't read the chapter yet. So I've been reading How to Raise Kids Who Aren't Assholes, and this is our book club book, um, which is, <laughs> I'm meant to be finished it by in seven days' time, and I am 110 pages in. But, uh, out of 300, by the way. But there is a whole chapter on how to raise kids who aren't assholes. And I, like, so far, reading Melinda's book, she's done such a good job of summarizing science in a way that's really unbiased. So I'm really looking forward to that chapter um, to cover at some point. But I think it's just really important to talk about it because one of the key things about racism is the fact that you need to talk about it with your kids and you need to be mindful mm. that they are the ones, they are learning from you. So they are mm. going to learn some shitty stuff from those around them but they are primarily learning their prejudices from you. Do you have any more to say about that, Siobhan? I'm sure you do. Yeah, no, it's really interesting. And I think I've been reflecting a bit on this. So Timo's daycare, they do um, an acknowledgement of country mm. um, in their room. And it's really beautiful one. It's, some, it's something along the line. I haven't really, I don't, I'm not often there when they do it, mm. but it's something along the lines of um, here is the land, here is the sky, here are my friends and here am I. Um, we're, um, and then they talk about what land they live on, which in, where we are, it's Turbrill and Yagara land. Uh -huh. um, but it's just, I don't know, I think it's just a really beautiful way to acknowledge land, to acknowledge the peoples and the people who went uh -huh. before, which is what acknowledgement of country is all about. Mm. Um, but it is interesting because, I mean, that definitely didn't happen when I was a kid. Um, the extent of, like, any exist, like, acknowledgement of existence of Aboriginal people. And, I mean, I had an Indigenous kid in my class and, like, in hindsight, it was so evident how much he was affected by racism because he was a very, he was a great kid. I really liked him, but he had a big chip, quote unquote, chip on his shoulder. That sounds like a terrible way to phrase it, but like he was clearly affected by racism and it had, was very defensive about it, which he was the only um, dark skinned kid in the class. Um, so of course, like that's so othering anyway, that the extent of like anything about first nations people was like in textbooks. And even then it was like the, like a footnote. So it's nice to see that there's a lot more incorporation in kind of school-based and like education spaces, but yes, you're absolutely right. Like all of that is what happens outside of the home. Um, and you need to kind of be mindful of how your own prejudices and things influence Anyway, sorry, I'm just on like a bit of a thought path. And it's tricky, right? Because like these, a lot of these things aren't necessarily interrogated by yourself. And it's not until you get no. questions from your kids that you mm. start to think about them. And they're such big, complex questions and situations yeah. that how do you answer some of these questions in a succinct, simple way? And the yeah. answer is you don't. Well, like the thing a really interesting thing that I ran into in 2021 was that I was a lecturer in developmental psychology and um, Mark, who was my co-convener um, and who'd been teaching it for a long time, was just like, oh, I've got like this, we've got this like whole um, initiative for inter integrating First Nations content into the curriculum. 
And he's like, maybe we should do something First Nations in uh, the attachment lecture. And so I was like charged with this, like creating this whole new, like it was actually a tutorial, but this whole new series of tutorials about like attachment in First Nations people and how it relates mm. to, because we know, and if you didn't know, um, very recently, very recently, I don't know, a few weeks ago now, if, by the time you guys are listening to this, I started my lecture series on YouTube in on like whatever I taught in my undergraduate course. Um, and I was doing the, I think it's the second lecture on attachment, which is just me chatting to the camera like I do here basically, but just without Siobhan, I just talk by myself, you know, info dump harder. Um, but I was talking about how attachment as a theory is very Western. Um, mm. It's very centre centered around like um, a nuclear family, a mother, a father, a child. Um, and that is just not how the majority of the world parents and that's not how attachment permeates life for the majority mm. of families or families prior to the industrial revolution mm. um so attachment looks incredibly different um in first nations families but then i started looking more into like what i would cover in this tutorial and i've got it up in front of me which is why i'm babbling a little bit um but then i started thinking about um the stolen generation mm. and how that would affect attachment but mm -hmm. not just not just the attachment of the child to their stolen parent or the stolen child to their parent but also the intergenerational trauma between yeah. massive like yeah the inherited intergenerational trauma so like when we know that kids learn via modeling we know that that means they learn via the people around them and the people in like higher echelons of authority um, which are their parents or the elders in their society or their aunties and their uncles. Um, it really depends what what community you're from and how you what you call your family and your community. Um, but kids will prioritize information fed to them by people who are in more important positions in their perceived um, community. And so when someone carries trauma of like an attachment mm. type from being removed from their country, because it's not just the family that they're going to have attachment challenges with, but for First Nations people, they have attachment challenges with their loss of country. And country is the place in which they were born. It's the place in which First Nations women would like to and need to birth on. It's that connection to land and country that is so incredibly important. And that connection in and of itself is attachment, right? Um, mm. And so it was really interesting to think about this stolen generation um, and the intergenerational trauma of it. Now I've got a couple of links that I can probably put in our show notes um, so that you guys can actually hear some of the stories from mm. the stolen generation because kids are being stolen until, when were they being stolen until? It was really Until the 60s as far as I'm concerned. We can, you can yeah. Google while, while I chat, but yeah, it's yeah. wild. And like, it's not, we often, when it's talked about in a historical context, it's talked about something that happened in the past. But there are adults now who, like, are in their 50s and 60s who were taken as babies or even as, I guess, toddlers or young children. And so they, like, they have active memories, trauma-based memories that are very um, concrete of being removed, of, of mm. their families being taken away from them and them being taken away from their family and their country and then being placed in these dormitory-style, like, Mm -hmm. missions where where 
they were quote unquote raised by the church, um, typically abused, um, assaulted uh, their identity and cultural heritage ripped from them. Um, and then these people are expected to go on and have productive lives, raise children with no effective model or healthy attachment. Uh, and of course, there are long-term ramifications, and there's no doubt dozens, if not hundreds, of people with PhDs who like or and who investigate these topics academically. And then also people who um, do it in a more qualitative sense of like journalistic or. Um, but it's just absolutely wild that. Like it's surprising that we don't have they don't have more problems in society. Like how what's one way to completely destroy a people's um, mm. is to break down their connections to each other, to and each other and to country. place. Yeah. yeah. And I think so I did some Googling and it says here that by 1969, all states had repealed the legislation for allowing for the removal of Aboriginal children under the policy of protection in quotation marks in the following years, Aboriginal and Islander childcare agencies are set up to contest removal applications and provide alternatives to the removal of Indigenous children from their families. And I think mm. the clincher here is that children are in some sense still being stolen mm. because the stolen generation is just um, the removal of children from perceived unfit parents. And now mm. I think it was definitely less well understood back then and is better understood now about parenting approaches in different cultures, such as those in First Nations families. But because we aren't supporting the families as much as we could, and we're not understanding them as much as we could, um, the parents aren't getting the correct resources to then be able to parent effectively and not have their children taken out of their custody. And this happens mm -hmm. all over the world. This doesn't just mm -hmm. happen in First Nations Australian peoples. This happens in um, like, what is it? African-American families in the US, Yep. in Indian in Canada populations. And in, yeah. yeah. And it's, just... it's, it's amazing to see how similar, um, and I mean, it, it's all under the rule of the British, right? Like they had a yeah. really effective model that they um, used all over the world to um, quote unquote subdue populations. Um, subdue. Like, yeah, uh... like it's such an effective model if you want to destroy people. Mm. Um, but yeah, like it, all throughout Canada, all throughout um, America, um, all throughout South America, like it's everywhere. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, that's, let's not just blame the British, the Spanish and the French did it too, the French in, in Africa. Yeah. Um, but like white people have a really great um, reputation of um, dehumanizing and destroying <laughs> peoples and families. White people are assholes. <laughs> not wrong. We really are. Uh, we say that, I say that as a very white person, like, and it's like, I get it. Like, it, people like yell at me on TikTok when mm -hmm. I put like when I did my like NIDOC week posts people would mm -hmm. like yell at me being like leave it in the past like I'm not mm -hmm. responsible for this I didn't do this someone else did so everybody needs to get over it like they need to get over it we're not doing it to them anymore and it's like you don't you are the problem if you were yelling mm -hmm. that at me you are the problem because you aren't recognizing what intergenerational trauma does what a loss of connection to community and country does to their mob, to their place. You haven't understood or even tried to learn about the trauma that experience, that an entire people's experienced and how you can't just leave the past in the past because not enough is being done in the present. And yeah, I always find it really interesting that people yell at me, like I mean, like, you know, 
like let's bring up this problem because it wasn't taught in my classroom when I was in primary mm. school it wasn't Trevor Noah me. who's a South um, South African comedian and host of up, up until recently host of the Daily Show in America he did a really great thing about this talking because he was I think he was asked how like what are the main differences he knows um, mm-hmm. between how South Africa handles racism and how America handles racism mm-hmm. and he said that one thing one thing one of many things that Nelson Mandela did really well was that he just kind of was like this happened we're not going to pretend we're not going to like it happened and we're going to move forward we're not going to pretend that there aren't ripple effects um, and it's not affecting us in the present but we need to acknowledge its existence and then find ways to work together towards a solution and I think that's a big thing like yes white people did this I'm not saying you did this you're a white person and if you want to get defensive about it that's your problem and you need to examine that in your own time in your own space but this is a thing that happened it is currently affecting these people how can we help them first by listening to what they want and what they think should be done Mm -hmm. but how can we what can we do to facilitate that and recognizing that there, there is no quick fix you can't just be like oh here um, here's a program. Why aren't you better yet? It's like, no, if you um, dehumanize and destroy, like actively try to destroy people and families and communities for decades, if not like centuries, yeah. then that's going to take a lot of work. Destruction is much more, much easier to do than creation. So mm-hmm. it's going to take a really long time and it's going to take shifting and changing attitudes. And it also and takes something that we could do. Oh, I was just gonna say, one thing that we could do that's just really symbolic and easily done is changing the date of Australia Day. <laughs> it is an arbitrary day that was picked post hoc. It's not like we've been celebrating this day since 1788. Um, like I said, <laughs> it only became much more popularized in like the 70s and 80s. In previous decades, it was celebrated in July. It was celebrated in October. Like we don't, there's nothing special about the 26th of January. Like pick a day, any day. We c- we're not getting rid of celebrating Australia, but let's do it in a way that everyone can celebrate. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like I was just doing a quick Google because years ago when I was in undergrad, like my job, like one of my jobs was as like a promotion- promotional model or like promotional person. Like, you know, those annoying people that stand on the like corner and like hand out flyers. I did that for like football games and stuff. And one of the like the campaigns I was working for was recognize. Um, and it was because Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders, Islander peoples were not mentioned in the Australian constitution and they were trying mm. to get recognition of those peoples in that constitution. And I just Googled it now and I'm pretty sure they're still not recognised in our constitution. So, you know, there's a few ways we yeah. could go about improving stuff. <laughs> just oh, a few. Yeah. So now I'm going to switch speeds really quickly. Just We're just covering all the, like, frequent recent news. Another one I want to talk about is, like, like, a motherhood idol, um, a worldwide motherhood idol who is Jacinta Ardern. Um, mm. So the New Zealand Prime Minister, Jacinta Ardern, um, has recently stepped down on the 19th of January, 2023. And like, I knew this was a thing, but I was like, why? Like, she's awesome. Why would she step down? And here is the um, quote she gave to NPR or somewhere. I don't know where she gave it to, but I'm reading it on NPR. I'm leaving because with such a privileged role comes responsibility. The responsibility to know when you are the right person to lead and also when you are not. I know what this job takes and I know that I no longer have enough in the tank to do it justice. It's that simple. What do you think? 
oh, I mean, you could never pay me enough to be in any kind of politics. Mm. So I think I think the fact that she did it at all and had a child in office uh, is bloody amazing. Oh. It's absolutely outrageous in all the best ways. Um, I don't begin to pretend that I follow New Zealand politics. I, when I lived in New Zealand, I still didn't follow New Zealand politics because <laughs> um, I couldn't vote uh, as, oh, actually, I think after a little while I could vote, but I didn't because it's not compulsory and I decided to exercise my Weird. democratic rights of non-compulsory voting in oh. Australia. Voting is compulsory. So um, that was novel and exciting to me to not, to have, to be able to not do it. Um, anyway. That is an aside. Um, no, I think she's marvellous. Um, she, I think, has a much better reputation internationally than she does in New Zealand itself, although I know yeah. um, a lot of her policies re received um, differently on the ground. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think it's wild. Alex um, comes, so my husband comes from a um, politically involved family. His dad works um, behind mm -hmm. the scenes in policy and politics um, and is... Yeah, anyway, I won't go into that in too much detail, but is heavily involved in Australian federal and state politics. Um, and there was at one point in our relationship the opportunity for Alex to follow a similar role. And I told him that <laughs> I love him so much and I would support him no matter what, but that if he ever went into politics, I would not be the person for him because I would make the worst politician's wife. Like absolutely the worst be. because I would, be, I would be asked a question and I would, an I would answer it. And mm -hmm. then I would cause all kinds of problems. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I agree. You would. Me too. I, we are yeah. not, we are not, like no, how no, people no, no. let us have a platform like this and we don't get in trouble <laughs> is still amazing. But yeah. Ah, we, crazy. Yeah. But yeah, anyways, like the whole point I was trying to make <laughs> to mm. see like what you Sorry. thought generally, mm. you're just like, you're just like, I have no idea about politics. But anyways. No, no. I mean, I do. I, you see, you need to be more specific in the questions you're asking me. You just ask me what I think and then I blather on. You do, but I sometimes think that you think like me, and then I think that like, sometimes we have different brains. But you know, um, theory of mind, autism. <laughs> like, let's get, let's be honest. I'm not great at it. <laughs> anyway, sorry guys, everyone listening at home is like, fuck, can't they get their shit together? Like, no, can they we not never just will. talk? We no, never will. We really Don't worry. Won't. But that's okay because it's who we are. It's our brand, and if you didn't like it, you wouldn't be listening anyway. So, if this is your first episode, welcome. I hope uh, sorry. you understand what you come back to <laughs> later. Um, but basically, like. It's kind of amazing in some respects. Like she's had this like really like long running like popularity with the rest of the mm. world. But obviously when it comes to the country she's governing, there were things that didn't quite land well. And like every, every leader across the world mm. has been like crucified for any decision they made during the pandemic, during the cost of living mm. crisis. So no leader is coming out unscathed. But what I think is really amazing is that she set a example for mm. what it means to put your ego aside mm -hmm. and acknowledge when the fight has been fought and it's time for you to step aside to keep yourself to keep your 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 team your your government your country on level footing rather than waiting to be like ousted mm. waiting rather than waiting to be um what happened to trump impeached Rather mm. than waiting for legal action or just waiting, or rather than waiting to be backstabbed, or, like happened yeah. with, what was it, Kevin and Julia Gillard and oh, like the 17 other leaders we had me, after that. Yeah, it's it's kind of a terrible example. Mm. It may, it, I think, and I could be wrong and I'm, anyone who has more knowledge, feel free to come mm. at me. But I think it's 
at least from my perspective, she seems like the first leader, like a country leader t- as a woman to lead from a female perspective. Yes. I feel like so many, like, I mean, there's been plenty other um, female leaders, but I feel like so often they were a woman operating as though they were a man or like mm-hmm. even if they didn't want to, they were um, taking on very like patriarchal masculine attitudes or like mm-hmm. working in that way whereas the level of compassion and empathy and how she saw that as a real strength and didn't mm-hmm. try to shed herself from that in any way um and the fact that she just comes out and was like I'm done and there's like and that it's not about ego and that I don't need to pretend and I don't need to protect my sense of self because my sense of self is strong enough to tell you that I'm done yeah and um, I think and I think it's like a new generation of of leading as like from the strength of womanhood rather than trying to Mm -hmm. um, hide it as a weakness. And I don't know if this is a uniquely woman thing, but the only other person I can think of recently who's done this on such a public scale was Simone Biles when she chose Mm. not to compete. Was it in the Olympics? Um, I can't remember. Maybe it was the Japanese Olympics. It was um, something. yeah, Yeah, it was something important. I don't remember what it was, but she was just like, I cannot compete today. It's dangerous. It is not good for me. Like my mental health needs to come first. And like, that's the only other person I've seen it. It seems, Mm. I don't know if it's a uniquely female thing or if it's just a very non-ego driven decision. And oftentimes Mm. people in power or like high competitiveness like Simone Biles, though there's usually ego involved, right? It's usually Mm. about power. It's usually about it's usually about how they appear and to have these women, particularly one who is a mother and has been phenomenal as a role model, be like, look, this is, I cannot lead the country as well as I used to be able to. And I think there are other people who might be able to do that. It is best for me, for the country, for my family. And that just kind of shows that self-compassion, that understanding and true leadership that Mm -hmm. a matriarch that a family need that a country need and that's just it's kind of cool yeah i think it's awesome i think it's really cool yeah well siobhan that was my topic do you have a topic before we give up (laughs) on this episode of chaos Um, well i guess something i've been reflecting a lot on is um and maybe we can you can talk to it a little bit like just so timo started a new daycare last week um, and drop-offs have been rough. Um, yeah. And I always knew they would be. Um, part of me hoped that, that he just wasn't sensitive anymore, um, <laughs> which, as we know, is well, not how temperament works. No. He will be um, a, sl- a slow-to-warm-up child, a slightly sensitive child his whole life. Well, mm-hmm. not a child, but he will have those tendencies. That's just how he is and how he operates. Um, but it's just been really interesting to see how a new group of people react and respond to that so mostly the educators have been great um a few of them have clearly tried to rush our transitions um which has been a challenge and we have resisted obviously and just been like no we're not ready he's not ready um and today was good like i made a point and alex and i both talked a lot about how um these two educators in particular clearly didn't weren't on the same wavelength as us Mm. um and that we just needed to sit down and speak with them. And I made a point of talking to a few of them today and being like, hi, just so you know, this is how we do things. We spend five to 10 minutes with him. We have the time. We're not in a rush to get mm-hmm. to work. So 
just let that happen. We will come to you when we need you. Um, and it worked really, really well today. And today was our first tier free drop off, wow. which was really, really great. Hmm. Um, he just kind of, he wasn't happy, but he wasn't crying, which as a mother was a big relief. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I've been reflecting on so much that so much, and I don't know how much of, undoubtedly he's picking up on it, but I'm bringing so much of my own anxieties mm-hmm. to the drop off and I try not to, and I don't want to, but obviously I've got three year or two years worth of drop offs uh, in my memory that have gone terribly. <laughs> So, of course, like I'm putting out something because um, and it's so it's been really interesting for Alex to witness the bad drop offs because anytime he's done drop offs, it's been a really good drop off. I know. Whereas for the, the first time he's mm-hmm. yeah, but for the first time, I think it was on it was yesterday. They had to like peel Timo off Alex and like mm. literally remove Ugh, his fingers. Like, from, yeah. Yeah. And he and Alex was so like confronted being like, whoa, he's never done that. I'm like, that is every drop off I've ever done. Yeah. Um, and like just reflecting with him about the tr- these transitions, but it was really interesting today. Um, I think three or four different educators made a point of like coming up to reassure me, which I didn't need, but it was very nice that they did so it. Cute. That like, I know they're like, really, he has the best days here. He's only upset for like max five minutes. And I'm like, mm-hmm. no, no, I know. Like, I know, I know my child. I know that's how it operates, how he mm-hmm. operates. Like I I'm so familiar with it, but it was just, I think they were amazed that a child who is so upset can have a good day. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in their experience, typically children who get that upset have a, str- a struggle a lot more long term. Well, um, hopefully whereas... not, because that's just a pretty standard like separation anxiety response. Yeah, I imagine a lot of I kids think, experience that. But I think he's really intense. I think he's really <laughs> intense for such a short time. Yeah, I think it's more like the intensity for the length of time doesn't match. Yeah. Um, okay. That's Which fair. like all kids are different, and obviously mm-hmm. like he's just a particular special snowflake. Um, mm. But it is funny, like, and I have, and I think I've talked about this on the podcast before. Like, I genuinely didn't believe educators when they told me that beforehand until I witnessed when he was about a year old. He was obsessed with one of his granddads, um, mm-hmm. my father-in-law, like absolutely obsessed. Um, and one day they came to visit us, and they were playing, and then they had to go, and he reacted exactly the same way to. Um, my father-in-law leaving to how he did when I left at drop-offs mm-hmm. like full-on on the floor crying like as though his soul had been crushed mm-hmm. um screaming so upset and then within 45 seconds he was happy again yeah and yeah. Uh, it was that instance where I'm like oh that's exactly what happens every time I leave <laughs> like mm. so I think it was that like light bulb of like this is just how he expresses his unhappiness at the situation mm-hmm. And then he moves on. Yeah. Um, so, but thankfully, like, it's where these transitions are at the new centre because he's older and because he has more experience and more emotion regulation skills and all these kinds of mm-hmm. things are going much more smoothly. Um, Thank goodness. And I know, I don't think I would have the stamina to do, like, a one-year-old's version, his his version Ugh. as a one-year-old. It was such again. a long time. Like, it was just... I know. And the worst part was, like... Sienna probably cried at every single drop-off for the first year at -hmm. least. And then Mm -hmm. on pickup, every time she saw me, she -hmm. would just cry again, like extraordinary Mm -hmm. distress. And I'm just like, what is happening? I feel like the the shittest human. But I Mm -hmm. know that it's just like that separation 
and that like reu like unification it's literally just like a long version of the strange situation test mm-hmm. but like it was it's just fascinating to see it and be like oh yeah that's right because like you are very easily soothed when i pick you up this is quite literally Mm -hmm. attachment theory like Mm -hmm. you were crying when you see me i grab you and put you in my arms and you are instantly stopping crying you're instantly soothed good to know you're securely attached but the the daycare teachers are always like oh my Mm -hmm. god she's been happy all day i don't know why she's crying right now and i'm just like it's fine that's a secure attachment. This happens every day. Yeah, I <laughs> was. T- we were exactly the same. Timo it's was like, weird. yeah, twelve to eighteen months, and then it wasn't at his last center. He was there for two years. It wasn't until the last week mm. of that center oh my God. that he and that it happened twice in the last two weeks. He would hop down, wave to me, and say bye bye, mummy. Oh, Something I've seen other so... kids do for years. That's been so annoying. And to going, it was the worst because I'm like, oh, we're gonna. We're, we're going to yeah, ruin cool. this. We're taking something that's finally working and then, <laughs> cool, start again. Um, but I, it will come. It will come. Um, mm. But, yeah, and then thankfully, yeah, the, the crying up, upon pickup stopped maybe six to eight months ago. Um, yeah. But it, it's just always, like, shit, so shit when you see other babies and other kids get dropped off and, like, and picked up and they're so happy. And I'm just like, ah. I want that. I want to not feel bad about going to work. I know. I I still feel guilty. Like, I I will always carry the badge of guilt. Like, I I need to go and see a psychologist pretty badly. (laughs) Um, I have some serious issues to work through. Friends, if you are feeling this guilty, probably try to go and talk to someone. But, like, ah, I I just see some kids. Like, but also, like, when I was picking Sienna up and she was crying, as soon as she saw me, like, I was like, cool, secure attachment. But also I feel like crap because I've never seen anyone mm-hmm. else's child do that. Mm. However, now when my child sees me, she just lights up and sprints. Mm. She's like, mommy. And she runs to the gate and she like shakes it. And she's like this way. And now she doesn't even rush to hug me. She just like starts mm. talking. She's just like, blah, 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 blah. And she like turns away from me and starts walking away to like either show me something or go and get her stuff. And she's just blah, blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. She doesn't stop talking. It's exhausting. She's mine. Um, yeah, it was, it's just, uh, it's, it's nice to see how it can change to mm. know that, like, I wish I told myself back then mm. when I was like, she always cries on pickup and she's never going to be like everybody else. Like she will, she will be happy. And if she isn't always like everybody else, that's okay too. But yeah, yeah it's just being in that moment and not knowing that anything will end like, like mm-hmm. sleep and shit like that. It's nice to be on the other side and be like, oh, wow, yeah, yeah, that's right. Life used to be a lot harder. Yeah, totally. And, like, it was maybe three months ago or something, there was a pickup where he ran towards me and, like, arms outstretched for a big hug. And there was another little boy whose mum was there at the same time. And he did the thing that Timo used to always do, which, like, burst into tears. And the mum was like, oh, I want that. And I, I was there. And, like, she didn't say it to me, um, but, like, I could tell that was the vibe that she was putting out there. And I'm like... Just so you know, that is exactly what he used to do all the time. Don't oh, worry, it will get so better. Good. Yeah, and um, oh. yeah, so it's, it's and it like, it makes sense. This is not to like shame or judge anyone. Like you don't know what you don't know. No. Um, and of course you can't imagine a better situation when you're in the, <laughs> the depths and the pits of like yeah. a really challenging time. Um, yeah. But I guess the only constant is change. And things do change. Even if they don't get better, they do change. Yeah. Um, they do but, change. 
We don't know if it's going to be for better or not. At the moment, it's pretty good, but like you're about to have another baby, so you know. I know. Good luck. Thanks. Because now he's not just I mean, going to be saying goodbye to you. He's going to be saying goodbye to the baby in the morning. Like that's mm. like whether or not he, if he doesn't like it, like awesome. It's going to make it easier to drop it off. And take exactly. It. Exactly. If he doesn't Maybe like he'll it. Maybe hate the baby. <laughs> Thank God. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, boy. I don't. I I don't know how that's gonna gonna work. Um, but we'll figure it out because that's You'll how keep us everyone. Well, that's the only way that I know how, right? Like, no one else knows what they're doing, and anyone who says they do is lying. Well, they're not lying. They just have no, an end I've, of one I choose or to two view it that or way. five. No, no, no. I choose to view it that way. <laughs> don't, don't, don't qualify my perspective. Okay, I won't. <laughs> I'm so sorry for invalidating you. Oh, there was something that happened the other day. Like, like I, I'm the asshole right now. But... Like, I was talking to my mom, and she's like, if you ever have another kid, like, you've got to try not to be so proud. You've got to let me help you. And oh, I was sure, just like... Sure. I, was just I like, thought you meant, like, proud of Sienna. I'm like, no, no, you should be proud of her. No, I see what no. you mean. I've had this exact conversation with my mother many times. But I was just like, well, hold on. First of all, saying that makes me feel incredibly invalidated. And she's like, why? I'm not insulting you. And I was like, no, but you're telling me that I was being proud. I wasn't being proud. Mm. I was trying to do what I thought was expected of me. And if I didn't do it, I felt like a failure. So I was not feeling pr too proud mm. for help. I was feeling shame, guilt, and failure. Like I was not too proud to ask mm. for help. I was in such a dark yeah. place. Yeah, a doom spiral, really. I was, yeah, and I didn't know how to ask for help. And I didn't think that I should ask for help because I thought that would make me a burden. But all she saw was I was too mm. proud to ask for help. And it's just like, that's not what it was. Like, it was societal norms. It was mm. the fact that, like, I am bound by societal norms more than other people and, like, trying to do things that other people do because I didn't realize that my brain doesn't work like other people's brain works and I couldn't understand why I had all this education and children and still couldn't be a good parent. Anyways, yeah, so I was just like, wow, like, how can one word make mm. this like entire work I've done towards like helping my brain be kinder to itself like it feels like it unravels it and I just like was brought back to like mm. you know feeling like a complete failure again and then being like whoa no like that's not what it was this wasn't my fault I wasn't being mm. too proud it was my maladaptive thought cognitions it was thought cognitions mm. that's the same word maladaptive cognitions um it was my mental health spiraling. It was the expectations built for me by media, by people around me, by, you know, seeing high performing people on the internet, like do all these perfect things and only ever seeing the highlight reel and not actually seeing how people did things behind the curtain. Mm. It was my own mother having four children and taking them camping including a newborn and like I don't remember a lot of how she got help when she, when we were younger but it seemed to me in my adult minds like she raised four kids with very little issue while working night and day outside of her childcare responsibilities while my dad just went to work for 12 hours or more a day and she just had to do it all alone so I was like in my head I was like why can't I even do this and I have such a helpful husband why am I such a failure mm. and my mum wasn't and then asking her for help would be like admitting that I was a complete failure and I wasn't meeting the expectations that she had or the standard that she set and then for her to be like you're too proud and I was just like fuck like mm. like she loves me well, and I know that it's not the case but yeah yeah 
good on you for like speaking that instead of like letting it i mean sounds like it has affected you but like instead of it just affecting you like um and then like adding that to your narrative of self-destructive thoughts like speaking the truth of the situation which is exactly like you said maladaptive um cognitions and like the buying into the myth of motherhood and the myth of the perfect mother and all that kind of Mm -hmm. stuff um it sounds like I so I can't imagine it, she sound so I don't know your mom at all, but like um, yes. I, I she probably that's just the word she used, but rather probably not the word she means. Like I've had very similar conversations with my mom about like she would say things like you need to let me help, you need to. I don't think she used the word proud, but it was the same kinds of connotations. Mm. And I'm like hold up, and I've had exactly the same kind of. I'm like back up. Yeah. It's not. It was meant. It was my mental health. I yeah. literally couldn't ask for help. I was in such a. Yeah state of fright like fight or flight or like I was white knuckling it is the way that I describe it and when you're white knuckling a situation you do not have the brain space Mm. to even consider an alternative Mm -hmm. all you can do is like tunnel vision keep going try and find a way out and the idea Mm -hmm. of even asking for help didn't occur to me and like Mm. it just was not an option yeah um yeah anyway but speaking of ignoring the proud thing which we didn't ignore because we just talked about it yeah um and as you say that's not the issue like do you think you would do it differently if you did have another child but like accepting help in a different way yeah and I think that that at all yeah and I think that if I did like there is a bunch of things that I would know are red flags because I felt like I couldn't let my baby out of my sight because every time I did I was full of intrusive thoughts I was very 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 sick like and I now know that I was really sick but at the time I didn't because it crept up on me and because I'd had Mm -hmm. such extraordinary levels of anxiety my entire life it didn't it wasn't that big of a shift like most people notice a month into postpartum because they haven't had extraordinary levels of anxiety and then all of a sudden they do Mm -hmm. I had never that I had never known any different and when it just kind of got a little bit worse and a little bit worse I just didn't notice and so now I know that those are red flags. I know yeah. that if I feel like I'm the only one who can hold my child, if I'm the only one who can feed my child, if I'm the only one who can care for her, if I can't leave her sight, if she can't leave my sight, that those would be red flags if I had mm. another child. And I mm. have thought a lot about it and I would do so many things differently. I would schedule like a day a week where I had someone in the weekdays with me even if it Mm -hmm. meant that they just had to sit next to me and my child and keep me company. There are so many things I do differently. And that was this conversation, that was the conversation I was having with my mum, and like, that's what kind of sparked it. And it felt like she was admonishing me. She was kind of telling me Mm. off for being too proud because it hurt her. And like Mm. with that relationship, there was a lot of hurt when her daughter and had her first grandchild and I just locked her out. Like, I was like, you give me too much stress. I need less stress in my life. Like, I can't handle you right now. And then add on top the COVID lockdown and my mum had a Mm. nervous breakdown. I had a nervous breakdown because my mum couldn't help me. And so she still carries a whole lot of trauma from the fact that she watched me go off the rails and couldn't help and like, and I wouldn't let her help. Mm -hmm. And I have so many vivid memories of my dad calling me and being like, you have to let your mum come and see you. She's so sad. And I was just like, at the time I was like, get away from me like do not say that to me I still believe that you shouldn't say that to a woman who 
is not letting someone see their child. One, because we were in the middle of a pandemic, but two, because ask why. Ask why that why someone's not letting their mother in. Is it because they don't have a if they, they have a bad relationship with their mother? Or is it because there's some kind of there's there's some kind of issue. We were locking everybody out. One because of COVID, mm. but two because I was very, very unwell. And rather than trying to make me the responsible party when I was so incredibly unwell, it should have been, how can we help? Like on the phone to your husband. What is going on? Why does she feel like this? Like how can we help? He- I so I'm curious did mm. so I've I've had <laughs> you could be describing my exact experience mm-hmm. and my so many of my own conversations with my mum yeah. I know that we had similar experiences but yeah. we've had so many conversations and she's um expressed how broken and sad it made her seeing mm-hmm. me break yeah. um she has been good and like she's owned those feelings and I've tried really hard not to take that guilt on mm-hmm. um but that doesn't mean it's always worked. Oh, I've, um, I take it on so long. So yeah. heavy. <laughs> so heavy. <laughs> yeah. No, and it is hard. Like, and I can't, the only, the way that I try to protect myself about it is like, I try to imagine me in her shoes of like what that would feel like yeah. if I was seeing Timo go through that. Like how Absolutely. desperate I would feel. And like, I know that it's not about me, but like it is about me, but it's not about me, yeah. whatever. But um, there was a specific point I was going to, oh yeah. But um, we've talked about, how from her perspective Alex locked her out as well yeah and that's because he was going through yeah Yeah. see and we've talked and she's had she's like sat him down and being like right this can't happen again and this is Mm -hmm. why and he goes and she's like I know you had all the right reasons and you were doing it for the right reasons but it was wrong and Mm -hmm. this is how we need to do it differently Mm -hmm. um and I think I've shared on the podcast about how she like tests the waters by like doing the dishes yes you talked about that (laughs) doing like different things for us that she knows that we would not that that previously we would have not allowed and yeah. we still don't love it because in our mind she's a guest in our house we yeah we care for guests guests don't care for us mm-hmm. but we have decided to let that happen because we do need to allow for help mm-hmm. and yeah. as well like that's her love language that's how she expresses that she loves us she also mm-hmm. gets really bored so when she's in our house like <laughs> watching Timo seriously it's it's bananas and I've tried yeah. to explain this to my siblings of like mum can't sit still so like sure she could watch tv but she can't just watch tv but also she, she doesn't like, really I... need to she's not as fatigued no. as we are that's why we need to it's watch tv so true yeah so true but like if she's watching tv even at, at her house she's like doing the ironing or like folding the washing well, or and we're also when and you... so you know correct like i never usually like, probably sit down <laughs> with your mum and four kids like the idea and there's a really good bluey episode about this mm. about like um it's called it's bingo's birthday i don't remember if what the lucky's name dad's rules it's not lucky's dad's rules <laughs> oh, it's, it's bingo's birthday party and bingo's okay. trying to do a handstand but everyone's too busy to watch Aww. and then the nana um the nana's trying to help set up for the birthday party and was like no nana rest 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 and she's like i don't think nanas are very good at resting and it <laughs> I love so it. much because I'm like no and again from my mom's perspective she, she raised five children she worked full-time mm. like the idea of sitting down and relaxing is it's so foreign to her yeah um it like makes absolutely no sense like mm-hmm. she's physically compelled to do something and if that's the dish <laughs> and that makes her feel good yeah do the dishes you do the but dishes, yeah so my, my thinking has changed a lot and like I said we've had lots of conversations and 
yeah. obviously. And like in conversations about how our rejection of help was a red flag and indicative of our own struggles. Yeah. And that it wasn't personal and like all these things. And no doubt conversations you guys have had too, but it's just so Same interesting thing. to really yeah. think about it from all the different angles. Yeah, like it, it really is. Like it's a really great point. I don't know how you get that help. Like if you're a mm. first-time parent and you're currently in the mm. middle of this, guys, like I wish that I had like a good plan for you because mm. the thing is when you are in that kind of state, you and your mm -hmm. partner are, in, are both in fight-or-flight mode because when one spouse has postpartum depression and anxiety, the other one is at really high risk of getting it too. Mm -hmm. And it's just that emotional burden. And when you start to lock help out, and you feel like mm. you are the only person that can feed, hold, or care for your child. And I remember saying, like, the only other person who can look after Sienna is Ryan. She's the, that's the only other person I trust to hold her. And even then, mm. even then, I still always had intrusive thoughts of him dropping her down the stairs, on the floor, anything. And it was so hard. But it, those are red flags. I took those red mm. flags to my psychologist early on in the first month. And she brushed them off. And I'm here to tell you, like, they feel like, if they feel like red flags, if it feels like you can only do it yourself and you are just refusing all help, all hands, all everything, it's a red flag to get some help. Because it could be nothing. But otherwise, it can end up with you eight months down the road still feeling like you are the only one that can do anything. And you are all of a sudden burnt out, sleep deprived and really, really unwell. And I don't want that for you guys. I want you to mm. take the knowledge that it could be a red flag and know that you and your, your partner are in this like very tight, cohesive fight or flight survival mode and you're doing your best to support each other. And it's really hard to let other people in, but it's something that needs to happen. I just don't really know how you do that. Cause someone else brought that to me, like some extended family had a similar experience and they're just like, we don't know how to help her. And like, mm. he won't help, she won't help. It's very hard to see the baby. Like, I, I don't know what to do. What do we do? And I was just like, I have no idea. Like, mm. I, I can talk from experience. I can share my story and see if that makes that person feel less alone. But when they're in that place, it's so hard to hear mm. anything else. To be like, no, I'm fine. Like, it's fine. I am doing fine on my own. I have my routines. I have this. I have that. I don't need it's any help. Fine, it's because fine is such a tight balance that any yeah. deviation is disaster. Yeah, and it's, it's obviously terrifying. not fine. But it's. I remember yeah. being in that, like, it has to be fine because if it's not fine, we're fucked. Yes, I agree. It's so, so yeah, and I guess it gets. it's exactly, which is why, like, postnatal, support is so important and why talking mm -hmm. about these things are so important and hopefully there's some pregnant first-time mums out there that are listening to this and like mm -hmm. have this in the back of their head um and hopefully they're fine and I'm sure they will be mm -hmm. the statistics suggest they will be but yeah. if they're not like knowing that to get to that stage it kind of and like I know you talk about the red flags I was at an increase of risk of postpartum depression because of my previous anxiety and depression mm -hmm. um in prior years that we quote unquote knew of the red flags but we were looking out for depression red flags. We weren't looking out for anxiety oh red flags. Yeah, no one ever so, looks out for anxiety red flags. Postnatal anxiety is very common. It's very underdiagnosed. But fuck my life, it is very hard. I know. It's, and I, I think it's, it's so so good that these conversations are happening and I think people mm. are so much more aware. But, mm. like, hold up, there was a thought. What was I going to talk about the red flags? Yeah, that I was aware of. The, oh, that it's like it's like the, the, the classic experiment of the frog in the water 
Like, so yeah, if you boiling. put a frog, mm-hmm. if you put a frog in boiling water, it will jump out. That is self-preservation. That is completely healthy and normal. And why people have people who don't have a history of mental health issues or come from very st- mentally stable, healthy, happy places, and mm-hmm. then experience a really drastic change, mm-hmm. they are more likely to get help faster because for them mm-hmm. the change and the shift is really obvious and mm-hmm. it's really obvious to everyone else around them whereas if you put a frog in water and then very slowly bring it up to a boil the frog will not jump out it will stay mm-hmm. there because it's lots of small incremental changes and that was definitely Ugh. my experience and yeah. sounds sim- very similar to yours that 100 percent started out quote-unquote fine mm. and then it got a little bit worse and a little bit worse and a little bit worse yeah. and people were kind of worried and in hindsight, I've had conversations with people like, oh, yeah, I didn't think that was right. But it wasn't bad enough for them to say anything. Yeah. People just thought and I was then, being an asshole, like a possessive exactly. asshole, like don't come near my baby. And it wasn't that at all. Yeah. <laughs> and you don't, don't have the presence of mind. Yeah. Yeah. You don't, and you don't have the language or the presence of mind to describe your experience, mm-hmm. particularly because as a first time mother, I didn't have anything to compare it to. Mm. I was like, this is how motherhood is. Everyone says it's hard. This is really hard. Yeah. And one of the things I remember saying when I was like, um, because they're like, why don't you just let me take the baby and you can go and rest? I remember turning to my mum or my mother-in-law and being like, that is not rest. I have more rest when my baby is in my arms because when she's Mm -hmm. not in my arms, my body is freaking out. My brain is Mm -hmm. freaking out. And that's a a red flag for me now. Like Mm -hmm. if I cannot find rest, like... If you can't, totally. And I had exactly the same conversation. My mum apologised, which was very lovely and she said I didn't realize that when I tried to take the baby and tell you to go to sleep that that wasn't Mm -hmm. helpful because I didn't know she's like I know you said you couldn't sleep but I thought you were being proud I thought you were just trying to be strong Mm -hmm. she's like I didn't realize that when you said you couldn't sleep you literally couldn't sleep that your body was too hopped up on adrenaline yeah no anyway anyway yes yes anyways um heavy chat (laughs) for the end of this episode um (laughs) I hope you guys enjoyed the uh chaos that was episode three we are back and we are episode we ended three. the it's year on chaos it's the third episode back in 2023 it's not the third episode of season two no. but yeah we did end the no. year in chaos and we have brought and we're chaos. just starting it off in chaos so when we, we don't want to bring you abruptly to niceness and pleasantries we have <laughs> we to are ease not you in with some chaos people. we uh, are we do not have easy temperaments. We are not calm, soothing ASMR vo- voices. We are talking over the top of each other. It's never going to change. Um, we We're getting better, I think. We are. We're training ourselves. Practice. I feel like our I feel like our audio's gotten better too, guys. Like, tell yes. me, have <laughs> we finally figured out how to record a goddamn podcast without what? it doing crazy things? Mm? This is this is microphone number three for me. How mm. many mics have you had? Two. Oh, you beat me. You, yeah, one of yours broke though. It kept cutting That's out. That's true. Like literally just That's kept true. cutting your audio out. Literally, you know. Yeah, stopped uh, working intermittently, which is yeah. worse than just not working because it meant I tried for longer. You really did. Anyway, didn't. life is Anyways. really hard. I don't know how I manage. <laughs> um, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us for today's episode. Uh, we are not doing a Fun Fact Friday or a Tidbit Tuesday again this week no. because we talked for too long. This was meant to be a 20 you know, minute I tried- episode. Like, I tried. To, I was scrolling through journals to try and find a fun fact Friday because so that you wouldn't chastise me for not you having were a fun fact. Scrolling through journals, yes, like in so your spare could have, like, time, yes. Like what journals? Uh, mostly child development, just because it's easy. Oh, um, yeah, okay. But yeah. they were boring. All they were all boring. They are um, all boring. That's just like yeah. So I don't have any. Oh, apart from the fact that there was a massive replication 
of oh, so there's a well-known study that found that um, the longer a child spends in, or concluded the longer a child spends in daycare so the more hours mm. in out-of-home care the yes, higher yes, rate yes. of externalizing behavior mm-hmm. problems there was a huge replication and they didn't find it which is absolutely what we want to hear that's an absolute yeah. great point to which end makes on. sense if you yeah. think about like externalizing problems it's so it's kind of like quote-unquote anti-social behavior or dif- difficult behavior mm-hmm. like hitting and kicking and expl- explosive emotional mm-hmm. reactions yeah those kinds of reactions are complex and you're never going to be able to explain them by a single variable such as yes. the number of hours spent in daycare yeah. so it's not at all surprising that a subsequent study of a big like a big study failed mm-hmm. to find that effect these things we are complicated complex us. complex problems have complex causes Yes, they do. And we're going to leave it there because if we go any longer, it's just not going to work. So (laughs) welcome back to tried to do a 20 minute episode and it's still an hour long. Uh, We will catch you (laughs) in the next one, which I'm sure we will try to make 20 minutes and it will still be an hour long. It will still be an hour long. Yeah, it always will be. All right. See you later, guys. Bye. (laughs) Bye.